How many of you old people remember the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, look full in his one? Oh, some that aren't so old. That is so encouraging to me this morning. Talking about how's your vision for 2020? How do you avoid that in the year 2020? What do you see ahead of you, start of a new year? What do you see? And we started last week with the vision of Isaiah, who saw the Lord high and lifted up. And it's my contention that if we are going to do the uh, uh, right things and fulfill the purposes of God and have clarity of vision, it starts with a right view of God. We need to see him high, holy, and, and uh, lifted up. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord in all things. He must have the preeminence. This morning, then, we're going to look at a vision the Apostle Paul had. He had more than one, but particularly the one in Acts chapter 16, if you want to turn there. Acts 16, Paul sees a man. You see, I believe that if we're going to have clarity of vision, once we have seen the Lord high and lifted up, that we need to also get our eyes on the world that we live in and see the people around us. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, he saw himself and the people around him and then was purged with a coal of fire from off the altar so that he could minister to the people around him. How many have heard it said that someone was so heavenly minded they were no earthly good? That is not possible. It's not possible. People who are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good are not really heavenly minded because here's what will happen. Whenever you get a view of God, a view of heaven, a view of the supernatural, the Spirit of God will bring your attention immediately right back to the world that you live in. Any view of God in the heavens that doesn't change the reality of your world on the earth is not a view of the God of the heavens. He's involved in the lives and dealings of men. I believe that God has a plan and purpose for your life. How many of you believe that? I'm not here by accident. I'm here with a divine purpose that God has placed in me that I want to fulfill. And that involves the long view of life. So when I was in uh, Bible camp and God called me to ministry through a book called Brother Andrew that was about a Bible smuggler, I had a long view that that's what I wanted to give my life to. Now, I am so thankful that God didn't show me all the pieces of that I'd have to walk through along the way. How many hear what I'm saying? I would not have had the courage to start down that road at all. And if your phones aren't silenced, please do that right now. <laughs> that was mine. <laughs> but in addition to the view of the long or the end game, God has a view, a vision, a plan, a call, a purpose for your life in the short term. He has something he wants me to do today. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord, and he delights in his way. And sometimes those can seem to be in conflict. So this morning, we're going to go to Acts chapter 16. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord, and Paul says, I saw a man. And those need to run in harmony with each other. When you really see him, you'll see a world in need around you. Now, Acts chapter 16, which is... Um, um, a great, a great chapter, and uh, uh, there was a map slide that's not in there, so don't go looking for it. I didn't find one that was going to work. Where Paul is stuck at a dead end. Now, in Acts chapter 16, if you were to follow on the map the direction that Paul goes, in Acts 15.35, in Antioch, Paul says to Barnabas, let's go and visit where we've preached. So they head to where they've preached, or that's what his plan is, to go back and visit the churches that they visited on their initial missionary journey. And when they're getting ready to go on this second journey, to go back and affirm the churches they've already been to, that's when this controversy happens with John Mark. Barnabas says, yes, let's go, and I'll take, uh, we'll take John Mark with us, and Paul says, no, we won't. Yes, we will. No, we won't. Yes, we will. No, we won't. And they didn't, and they parted company. And Silas joins with Paul. So they go through this region, if you can picture the Middle East, comes up around this direction, through Cilicia and Syria, confirming the churches. Things are going pretty well. They're preaching. They're back where they've ministered before, and it feels like life is pretty good. Then they come to Derby and Lystra, 
And a young man that will become really, really important in Paul's life named Timothy joins them. So, so far, it's just good. How many of you have had days that were just good? You know, everything makes sense. Everything seems to be going well. Everything's on track. God is blessing and you're enjoying life. If you've ever had that experience, please let me see your hands again. It's just good. It's fun. That's Silas. We got Timothy. I can train him. We're affirming the churches. And it says that as a result of their ministry, that the churches were established in the faith and growing. So it's going along just great. Then, boom, the wheels fall off the bus. How many have been there? It was good yesterday. Today, it is terrible. They go into Phrygia, and there's no doors that open. There's no opportunity for ministry. They go to Galatia, to Asia, to Mysia, and Bithynia, and all the doors are shut. Nothing's opening. There's no opportunity. God's saying no, and you have to wonder after a while, what went wrong It was so good yesterday, and it is so rough today. It's like I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what's going on. And we tend to ask ourselves at the dead-end experiences in our lives, what went wrong? Why are the doors shut? And then as they come around the coastline, they end up at Troas, and now does he go back? The ocean's in front of them. There's no direction And he stops at Troas and has no idea what to do. This Apostle Paul, who will plunge ahead where where angels fear to trod, that will take on the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that will experience stoning that seems to never have a question, always knows the right thing to do. And the right thing to say is sitting in Troas without a clue. Now what do I do? Dead ends can be really discouraging. Nothing seems to be working. What have I done wrong? I hate dead ends. We live on a cul-de-sac, and it's pretty entertaining to watch sometimes. Cars come down our street, do the loop, and go back out our street. Uh, Life sometimes is like that, U-turns, cul-de-sacs, but those dead ends. We make a spiritual pilgrimage every year to the Mall of America. It's been part of our Christmas with our kids since they were little, and I'm old enough to remember days before GPS. I remember as a kid, AAA having the triptych, that you'd flip the chart. How many of you remember the triptych? You'd flip that and the next part of that. And then we got, what was the online source? MapQuest. That was amazing. Carol is such an organized person. I'd look it up, print it out. She would have a, she would have a, a folder with all of the pages. The problem with that is when you get where you're going, if you get off track, there's no computer to log on to in the car then. Don't know where to go. I... We were in Denver for a meeting and dropped Carol off at the hotel early and had our two of our kids with us. The two we had then were young, and, and we, it took us 15 minutes to get her there. It took us an hour and a half to get back. <laughs> Are we lost yet? No, we're enjoying the city. We're just, <laughs> we're enjoying the city. It's beautiful. Look at Dad, are we lost? No, we're just enjoying the city. I was, didn't know what I was going to do. But on one of our trips, have MapQuest, and I'm following, and she's navigating, and we're making all the right turns, and we're going into a residential area, and we hadn't been there that many times. I thought, this doesn't look familiar. It doesn't look right. And then we turned down a residential street, then another residential street, then another residential street, and we come, and MapQuest says on there at the end of the street, you have arrived at your destination. I am facing an embankment (laughs) with a train track on top. What do you, I didn't have a cell phone, didn't have 
GPS. I don't know what to do. Thankfully, a mail truck comes along, and I get out and talk to the mailman who starts to laugh. He said, you're the fourth car that's been on this street today. <laughs> Somebody hacked into the MapQuest and gave phony directions, and if I ever find them, <laughs> then I, I just felt hopeless. I'm sitting there. I have no idea where to go. No dead end. And I looked around. I was sure someone was sitting in their house with looking through the curtain. That's number four. <laughs> I've had other dead ends. How many of you ever hit one of those spiritual dead ends, relational dead ends, and you don't know what to do? I came across a little bit of advice I want to throw out to married couples that really I have to think about, so I'm going to throw it out there just raw. It said the goal of healthy marriages isn't to improve, it's to avoid decline. That's something worth pondering on. There are just some times where the goal isn't to make it better, it's just don't make it worse. Those dead ends are frustrating. I don't know which way to go. I don't know what to do. I don't know what direction I should take. And I've been off track or got delayed, and then I'll say, you know, well, we were an hour late or we took a side road, and then we say this. Now, please, listen to me carefully. I don't want you to misunderstand me because I believe that God protects us in ways we don't always know. And I will say, well, it must have been God protecting us from an accident. No, it might just be because I was stupid and didn't know where I was going. Come on, is anybody with me? No, it was just God. No, own it. You're at a dead end. You don't know what to do, don't know where to go. Don't spiritualize it. Just stop for a minute and realize you're stuck. Those are important spiritual moments. Listen to me. Those are important spiritual moments. Because what you do when you're stuck tells a lot about where you're going to go and where you've been. How do you handle the dead ends? What do you do when you don't know what else to do? And I want you to understand this morning that God uses closed doors as much as he uses open doors. In my life, God has worked much more with red lights than he's worked with green lights. I've had more experiences where I knew where I was, what I was to not do or a door that closed that I have through open doors. I've shared the story of the acreage we wanted to buy and all that went with that. And then when it seemed like it was all ready to go, the door slammed shut. And then it opened again and then it slammed shut. What do you believe? I believe that God was making sure I didn't make a mistake in a, in a purchase of property. I'm just saying that often in my life, doors that shut. When we first went into ministry, now watch, First, uh, we were in our youth pastor position, and uh, on a Sunday night, I felt like God was calling us to step into a lead pastor role. Now, I was at the time 24 and looked like I was 12, and I didn't know till years later, Carol had been praying that God would open a door because she didn't think anyone would give me an opportunity. Who's going to let a 12-year-old come and pastor? <laughs> And so I'm praying, God, if you want us to leave where we are, then I need you to open a door. <laughs> the next morning, I was going regularly to the Y, a men's group that exercised. Pastor picks me up, and I get in the car. And I prayed this Sunday night. This is Monday morning. I get in the car, and the pastor says to me, if a good church opened, would you be interested? How many of you would see that as God answering my Sunday night prayer? Man of God's, yes, certainly. So we jump through all the hoops, we get ready to go, and uh, I'm going to preach on Sunday, and it is in Oxford Junction, Iowa. How many have ever been to Oxford Junction? You have been. Were you lost? <laughs> you don't go to Oxford Junction. We did a Bible readathon, and you could, or an outreach for a kids' crusade, you could knock on every door and be back home in about 45 minutes. They had a bar and a gas station. That's all that was there at the time. And 
a few people, if you counted all the dogs, it would increase the population. So we preached that morning, handful of people at the church. I still feel like we're in the will of God, and they're going to meet in the afternoon, and so they don't know what to do. We preached the Sunday night service, and they're going to vote, and, and you don't go to a restaurant in Oxford Junction, and the gas station's closed, and I can't go to the bar. So we're driving around, driving around, driving around Oxford Junction. We did every street 10 times, finally came back. Someone met us at the door. And Pastor Tim, it was devastating. That little church voted no. <laughs> voted no. Do they realize the opportunity they were missing? <laughs> I could not believe it. God spoke. A door opened, and then they didn't even let us in the church building. I walked up to the door. They opened the door. A board member met me and said they voted no. And it's like, okay, could I use the bathroom before we go back to Cedar Rapids? No, shut the door. Devastating, slammed door. Do you know how many, how many times I have thanked God that that door slammed shut? Let me hear, how many hear what I'm saying? Thank God that door shut. <laughs> Closed doors, sometimes you're stuck for a reason. Don't despair in those moments. If you look back with hindsight and you look at the journey that Paul took on the map, every one of those closed doors moves him closer to the place that God wants him to go. And as long as you're moving the right direction, you don't need an affirming word Keep moving until he says, that's it. He's run out of steam, nowhere to go. What do you do? Well, he's moving closer to Philippi. I want you to remember this. Next time you're at a dead end, I want you to remember this. God always has a plan in the pause. God always has a plan in the pause. He has not forsaken you. And some of you are in a spot right now. You don't know what to do. And you feel like, God, where are you? Hear me clearly. I, f I felt like a, God gave me a prophetic word for someone today. God has a plan for you in the pause. He's not forgotten you. He's working something out for your good. Let me show it to you with Paul. Why the dead ends? Because he doesn't need an open door. He's not where he needs to be. And God is just kind of guiding him. Because you need to hear him say no as well as say yes. You need to experience when he says, don't go there as well as go there. And Paul, for the first time in his ministry, other than being let down the wall in a garbage basket, um, for the first time in his ministry, he's experiencing uh, what, would be, what would appear to be a failure in ministry effectiveness. But there's an, an important relational connection that's going to happen at Troas that we should all be thankful for the pause and the closed doors. If you look at Acts 16, verse 7, watch this. Now, before I read that, how many of you know who wrote the book of Acts? Luke wrote the book of Acts. Luke wrote the book of Acts. So the narrative, the pronouns are going to refer to Luke when they're personal. Verse Six, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept there, been kept by the Holy Ghost from preaching the word of God in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed Mysia, went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging, after Paul had seen the vision, we, do you see what just happened there? They, 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 we. This is where Luke joins the team. Had there been no stop at Troas, 
No pause to wait on God. There'd have been no Dr. Luke on Paul's team. And if there were no Dr. Luke on Paul's team, there would have been no Gospel of Luke, and there would have been no Book of Acts. God wasn't slowing him down because he failed. God was slowing him down to make a relational connection that we rejoice in today that gives us the only narrative of the early church and their ministry and experiences is recorded by Dr. Luke, who joined the team at Troas. Thank God that God shut the doors. Well, I got blessed by that. You see, there are times he wants you to stop because you're going to get ahead of what he wants to do. <laughs> You're going to get ahead of what he wants to do. There are dead ends. Shut doors are discouraging. Stuck at a dead end can be a difficult place. And when you're there, there's some principles that you need to understand and hold to. Paul would not have known that that was going to happen. But he was submissive to the will of God. There's nothing in here of complaint coming from the Apostle Paul. Just a recognition of doors being shut. You need to also remember that God is at work even when we can't see him. He's not dependent on your awareness or perception to be doing what he's going to do. Oftentimes, God is at work when we don't know what he's going to do. We were kind of reminiscing about some things um, that happened early in ministry. And I remember um, back in when I was in Bible college and I'd come home on break. I had enough gas money to get home and I was broke. And when I say broke, I mean zero. I had nothing. I didn't know how I was going to get back to school. I didn't know how I was going to get there. I knew there were people that help if I'd ask, but I I didn't want to ask. I didn't know what to do. And I thought, well, if nothing happens by Sunday night, Monday morning, we got to go back. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I prayed Sunday morning, God, is there, I, I need your help. I don't know what to do. Tell me and I'll do it. That afternoon, my dad called. Now, understand, my dad discouraged me from going into ministry. My dad was not a believer at the time. My dad and I were not on good terms at the time. And my dad didn't ever offer me money. But that afternoon, he called. And he said, do you need some money to get back to school? <laughs> Listen, God can even speak to unbelievers in your behalf if you'll sit still and let him go to work. Amen. After Sunday night service, my dad showed up in the parking lot, gave me enough money to get back to school where I had a job to work and, and save back up again. And he never did it again. Never did it before. Never did it again. You can call that whatever you want. I call it a plan in the pause. Sometimes he gets you at a dead end so you can see the miracle that he wants to produce. There's discouragement at the dead ends. Don't despair. God's at work whether you can see it or not. So what do you do? Keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking, keep trusting, and keep waiting on the Lord. Second, from that point, he is sent on by divine revelation. God gives clarity. When you get at the end of your road, listen, if you will wait long enough, God will show you ultimately what he wants you to do when he wants you to do it. And what I find fascinating here is that it says that during the night, Paul had a vision of a man. He didn't have a vision of a church. He didn't have the vision of a crusade. He didn't have a vision of a missionary journey. He didn't have a vision of, of special opportunities. He saw a man. Ministry isn't about a crowd. It's about people one at a time. You have a personal, unique relationship with Jesus Christ that is independent from the importance of the corporate body, as important as that is. 
But you have no relationship with the corporate body if you don't have a personal relationship with him. And in our desire as a church to reach the thousands, we need to individually take time for the ones. The harvest will not be won by combines. The harvest will be brought in by the handpicking of the people of God. Well, what about the crusades where thousands come in? Do the study. I don't have time to recount that for you this morning, but do the study. If there wasn't a one-on-one hands touch after the crusade, the vast majority of those commitments don't survive. You can have a thousand people that come in, but every one of them needs a personal touch if they're going to continue on. It's not about the heights of ministry. There's a man in Macedonia. And Paul was willing to respond to a man. What had he done? He had planted churches. He was raising up leaders. He was in full-bore ministry. And I think there are times that God wants us to slow down and say to us, you, you see the big picture, but it's not about you making the millions and, and climbing the ladder. It might be I have you in the job you're in because there's somebody working a song alongside you on the line or the cubicle next to yours or a coworker that you're interacting with. It's about that one that still needs you because ministry is not about the promotion of your position. It's about the impact on a person that he will bring us back to. Whose life needs to be touched? Maybe that's what I need to look around for. Who needs to be touched by God? God's vision for your future will always involve people. God's vision for your future will always involve people and your impact on them. And the only way to measure that is to look one at a time and the influence and impact that you're having on individuals. The crowds are important, and Jesus ministered to the 5,000. <laughs> but Pastor Tim, he fed them one-on-one, one piece of bread, piece of fish at a time, because it's about the individual. It will always bring us back to the basics of touching the lives of people. Wherever you're at, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, and whatever God's call is for you, why didn't I get that raise? Why didn't I get that promotion? Well, maybe you need a vision of a man or a woman on the job who is saying, come over here and help me. Because I'll guarantee you, he's more concerned about that coworker going to heaven than he is about you getting a promotion. He's got a million ways to take care of your needs. He can feed the sparrow. He, he, he clothes the lilies. Not a hair falls from your head that he's not aware of. He doesn't need to give you a promotion in order to take care of your needs, though there are times that he will, but there are times that he has you right where he wants you to be because there's an individual that you need to touch, that you need to impact, that you need to help. The Bible says that Paul had a vision of a man begging. A man begging. <laughs> I, I got so blessed when I did a little word study on that word begging. I'm, I'm thinking he's you know on his knees. Oh, help me, help me, help me, help me. The word used for begging here is parakaleo. Now that may not mean anything to you, but it's the root word that we get the term paraclete. From that, we get the word comforter in the King James or advocate, I think it is in the NIV, that is the descriptive term for the Holy Spirit. That tells me that there was a man, woman, boy, girl, somewhere calling on God for help. Will you, para, come alongside? And kaleo means to call. He's calling for someone to come alongside and advocate for us because we don't know what to do. And when people say, well, what about the people around the world that have never heard when it comes to missions? Listen, wherever somebody calls on the name of God, God will make sure that an answer comes to them to reach them in their darkness. We need a paraclete. We need an advocate. We need someone to come alongside us to help. And Paul saw him in the night. 
Will you come? Will you come into a new territory? Will you come into a new place? Will you come with a fresh vision? Because I need your help. And the gospel opens to Europe because Paul had a vision of a man. <laughs> oh, sometimes it's not about all the success. Someone is praying in Macedonia for God to come and help them. Paul had a vision with clarity. God can speak in ways to be sure that you hear. He has the ability to speak in ways to be sure that you hear. And because Paul didn't chafe at the closed doors. Once you get this, because Paul didn't chafe at the closed doors, he got a vision of an open door. And if you fight the closed doors, you'll never have a vision of the open door. You can waste your energy. Why won't this door open? But if it won't open and you accept that as God's timing and plan, there'll be a moment where he'll say, now I have a clear supernatural direction for you. And the wheels go back on the bus. Our vision has to be on him. He will bring clarity. I, I, I want to give you a little philosophy. I hear that I, please don't ever say this to me. And the staff knows not to say this to me. I, I just hate, I think it is an ungodly mindset. When someone will say, I'd rather ask forgiveness than permission. That's an ungodly, rebellious mindset. That says, I'm going to do what I want, and if it doesn't work out, I'll just ask you to forgive me. No, 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 no. No, no, wait. Just wait. Keep knocking. Doors don't open. Keep knocking. And submit to the will of God. And then there'll be a moment where he'll give clarity, and you won't have to ask forgiveness because you will have his direction. Sent by divine revelation. So then we bring to the last part of chapter 16, Paul then was satisfied with directed ministry. And I love what happens. He says, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave. They didn't get the other. I wonder, let's, uh, let's have a little campfire chat here. I'm going to tell you about a vision I had and what do you, what do you think that means? And what do you all think we ought to do? We've never been to Macedonia before. How should we? I'm not sure that was really God. Could there be some other meaning? Those kinds of responses to the will of God will keep you from experiencing his favor. They immediately responded. Immediate obedience. I can't tell you. can't tell you how many times people miss the blessing of God because when the Spirit of God is moving in a room and he touches them, they think, I'll deal with this later. So maybe God put his hand on your heart. I can say this because we're already taking the offering, and I'm just doing it by example. But how many have ever had a time where God touched you during a worship service to give something more than you thought you could give, and you thought, I need to think about this, and went home, and that unction was gone, and you didn't respond? How many know what I'm talking about? We talk ourselves out of it because your response isn't, God isn't waiting for you to decide if what he has said is acceptable. It's not an option. It's not multiple choice. Well, let me see how we can do this. If he said it, obey it immediately, and he then will bring blessing to your life. There's such freedom in immediate obedience. <clears throat> I've given altar calls. I can see it on someone's face. I, I'll deal with this next time. No, you won't. Because the time to respond is when the Spirit of God has spoken to you. And when he has... Stop waiting. Stop waiting. That's an open door. Start to walk through it. Take your steps through it. We got ready at once. God doesn't reveal his will so you can decide whether or not to do it. God reveals his will to people who are already ready to do it and those who respond immediately. And it may be the reason God has gotten silent in your life is because you've not been responding to what he's already told you. Instant obedience, immediate 
obedience. And I like what it says here, concluding. That word concluding is so sad. That, that sounds like they had a conclave and they had a board vote and they decided, we concluded. You know, we had a vision and we concluded. Wrong. I, if you have an NIV and would be so inclined, scratch that out and put the King James words back in there. The King James words here are knowing, let me get it right, assuredly gathering. Now, I know we don't talk that way, but what it's saying is not we concluded, we had an assurance in that moment. (laughs) Have you ever been there where you've had moments of questioning and closed doors and I don't know what to do and relationships that aren't improving and things that aren't happening the way I want and then there's that moment of clarity where you don't conclude that God was in that you know with assurance that God is in that and you know now what direction to go and there's such victory and joy in that moment when I know assuredly gathering assuredly we know now that God has blessed we know now it means to coalesce to join together to put together to unite or to knit to cause a person to unite with one in a conclusion we've heard from God and we agree we unite with God now let's go and do what he's called us to do clarity brings confidence now are you how many are still with me I'm just about done The vision didn't match, watch this, the vision didn't match what he experienced when he got to Macedonia. He saw a man, but he found a woman. And they were gathered to pray. And then you realize what all happens there. Lydia responds. Paul and Silas get thrown into prison. Things don't happen just smooth and cool and easy after that because he understood the difference between he saw a spiritual representation of mankind. And don't make this a sexist issue in the scripture because it's not at all. It's a representation of mankind. Come and help us. So you know what he did? Watch. He didn't go looking for a man. He went looking for someone to help. He understood the direction that came from God. And when he found someone to help, he was ready to respond because they had confidence that God was going to put them in a place to minister to the lives of people. Spiritual warfare followed the spiritual direction. It's not going to be easy. But there is such a satisfaction in knowing you are in the will of God. There is such a satisfaction. (laughs) Ah, uh, I was told this when I started. I believe it today. I appreciate the support that people give to us, give to me personally, to our family. I love this church, and I love the infirm, affirming environment. But the, aff- but the affirmation of people has not always been enough to keep me going. When I'm standing outside my office door, there's a young married woman that I'm trying to help who is yelling at me, chewing me out, telling me that my problems are I hate my mother and uses something I told her against me and storms out the door. There's only one thing that keeps you then. And that's knowing that there was a day I sat by a bush at a Bible camp in Birmingham, Iowa, and God said, I want you to follow me in ministry. The call kept me when nothing else would. You have a call on your life to follow him and serve him. And there's nowhere in that that you have room to walk away. And when you have that altar experience where God speaks to you, I'm telling you, you'll return to that again 
and again and again. And I'm going to make this really personal now. I stood at an altar with my wife in June of 1978. And we made a commitment to God. There have been times that my present experience didn't encourage me to stay. But my commitment at an altar of God kept me engaged. That's more true for her than it's ever been for me. I'm saying to you, there are moments when you know you've nailed it down and God has spoken to you. In fact, I'll, I'll go back to a moment in prayer when God told me I was going to marry her and I hadn't even, uh, wasn't dating her at the time. On our first date, I said, when do you want to get, no, I didn't either. I didn't at all. <laughs> are you hearing what I'm saying? Yes. There are God moments that you will anchor your life to. So when Paul is being put in prison, when when life gets hard, what's he do? I remember, Silas, you remember, I imagine when they're in stocks, in prison, and they're singing praise, remember, Silas, this isn't what we signed up for, but it's what God said. I saw a man in Macedonia, I had a word from God, and we're in the will of God in this jail cell, and God is going to do something supernatural that anchors you when you've heard from him. Satisfaction comes from knowing you're in the will of God. Pastor Nathan, would you come? After you see Jesus, you need to see a man. You need to see how seeing him translates into your everyday life. You have to find out how that heavenly revelation becomes an earthly reality. I'm going to ask everyone to stand with me, please. And I, I just feel like God laid this on my heart. So I'm going to obey it. But I believe there are some bodies here that you feel stuck. You don't know what to do next. It could be relationally. could be with your children. could be with your spouse. could be with a neighbor. could be on the job. Maybe it's a work situation. You don't know what to do. But you're in a spot where you feel stuck. I want to pray for you. We want to pray for you that God will get you unstuck. Will get you unstuck. Doesn't mean you've done anything wrong, but you feel stuck and you need an answer from God. I want you to come right now, just here to the front, so we can pray for you. We do that. I want you to come. I know you're here. I want you to come. You feel stuck. But from the balcony, on the main floor, you feel stuck. God wants to unstick you going to pray with you that he will give you a vision of a man, a vision of a calling, a vision of a purpose and show you what you're to do next. I'm going to wait just a minute while people are coming. I believe that God wants to help us get unstuck and it comes when we yield ourselves before him. I'm going to wait while people are continuing to come. Come, 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 come join these that have already responded. We need a vision that tells us what to do next. It's wonderful to see him high lifted up. But I need a different vision when I'm stuck at Troas. When I'm stuck at Troas. We're still coming. I want those of you that will enter into agreement with these who have come. Again, those of you that come, would you step kind of a step or two toward me? We're here. And, and I don't, this isn't a time to counsel. It's a time to just pray that God will bring revelation. And, and please don't just stand there and look at me. I need some of you to come right now and just lay your hand on their shoulder. Put your arm around them. Just begin to pray. Pastor Nathan is going to lead us in a time of worship. We're going to take time. And our prayer is simply this. God, help me get unstuck. Show me what you want me to do. I'm listening. I'm submitted to the, I submit to the closed door. And I'll stay here as long as you want. But I need you to open a door for me. I need you to show me direction. I need some more of you to come. I want at least one person with everyone. I need some to my left. I need a, need a guy over here. I need some ladies over here. Come on. I need some more of you to come and pray. Just begin to pray for them, would you? Just begin to pray for them. And church, stretch your hands this way. If you don't feel like you should come forward, stretch your hands this way. Let's begin to pray for God to give in the days that are ahead in some supernatural way divine revelation. 
God, we pray for divine revelation. We're stuck. And we need vision. We need clarity on what we're to do next. We've seen you high and lifted up. Now we need to see a man on planet Earth. What is it you want us to do here? What is it you want us to do here? Just ask him in your own way. Just ask him in your own way. Draw me close to you.
I pray for each one who's responded to the altar call this morning. First of all, that you'd help us realize, recognize that even when we don't see you, you're still working. Even when we don't feel you, you're working. Help us to learn to submit when we're stuck going to keep believing till you give us an open door. We're believing for that now, for clarity that will come from you. And we ask that in Jesus' name. And everyone who believes that said, amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Greet someone this morning. Would you be an encouragement to someone?